Well, that's what we Americans do, man. We, we stroke each other. If I had a poop emoji, I'd put the poop emoji. It's, that's my one diva tendency. Because you got all these liberals up here, you know, me being a conservative Texan, and we got our differences, so. Welcome to episode three of Digging In with JP and Sevia. I'm your host, Nick Ashbourne. Today on this very special episode, we have a guest, the man, the myth, the legend, John Gibbons really opening up to us. We hear from him every day, but we we talk to him about some stuff you're not going to hear from every day at those managers meeting with John Gibbons, that's for sure. And we like to get right into it. So today we've got a topic that's near and dear to JP's heart, and that is sign stealing, because the Blue Jays have been accused again. We thought this was buried seven years ago, and it's raised its ugly head once again on Saturday against Chris Sale. Yeah, I think it's it's probably one of the dumbest things that uh, we have to deal with in in baseball and it and I'm excited to talk about it cuz I I go on a rant every single time that I talk about it because it's anyone who's around baseball knows how hard it is to be able to have somebody positioned in the outfield uh the quote unquote man in white and I've seen bullpens of the other teams pitchers of the other teams looking up into the stands to say to see if if they can see who's who's giving the signs which I used to look at them and go, these dudes are complete idiots for for doing this right now. I mean, it, it literally you would look from the dugout and watch them, and they'd be trying to find this guy who is a figment of everyone's imagination. But um, it it reminds me, I remember when the whole thing with the, the man in white came out, and unfortunately they picked me uh, to interview because I was hot about it. Because if you're saying – Hey, uh, there's a man giving us signs. Well, I think at the time I was hitting about 220. And so they asked me, hey, uh, you know, what do you think about this sign thing? And I was just like, I'm pissed off. I'm really pissed off because not only am I upset that you guys are wasting our time, but I'm also upset that if we're getting these signs from the supposed man in the white, no one's giving them to me because I'm hitting 220. So I'm pissed off at the rest of my team for not giving me the secret uh, that that everybody... Yeah, everyone had, had it except for you. Everyone on the team was in on it, and they're like, no, JP, we're not going to give it to him. Yeah, and, and you know what's funny is I've gone to other teams, and literally other teams have asked, hey, dude, all right, you're not on the Blue Jays anymore. Like, tell us, tell us, uh, how do you get the signs? And I'm like, dude, are you dumb? Like... I don't get the signs. That's the stupidest thing uh, in the world. And this is what, at the end of the day, and this is where people have to realize, if you're supposedly getting signs from somebody in the outfield. Now, let's let's take this step by step to, for people to realize how dumb and how insane that you would think that this is possible. So I'm a hitter. Now, the pitcher is getting the signs from the catcher. Well, when the pitcher gets the sign from the catcher, he doesn't stand there for 45 seconds. He gets the sign and he starts his motion. So what people think during this time, oh, the the catcher gives a sign. So there's somebody in the outfield supposedly with binoculars or with a camera or whatever. So then that person gets the sign. And now I have to look out to the outfield as the hitter to try to find this guy and see him maneuver a hand or do whatever the heck they think that he's doing. And then by the time I would be looking back, the pitch would be coming at me. And so the time lapse for all of this stuff to happen 
is is impossible to happen. And it is so stupid that we still have to sit here and talk about sign sealing. What I wish people would do is take their licks and admit it. Like you get out there. We had Jason Hamill one time and he was with the Orioles and he was having a good year. And we went in and we beat the brakes off of him. And he went and he told the media like, oh, they had to have been giving signs. Uh, there's no way they were laying off my breaky ball, blah, blah, blah. No, dude, you were throwing fastballs over the middle of the plate. So you had and Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Bautista and all these and Adam Lynn taking you deep. You just suck today. You don't have to just drop it on somebody else and, and make an excuse. And that's the thing for me because Chris Sale was the guy on the mound. So we expect Chris Sale to be amazing. He's one of the best pitchers in baseball. So the facts of this one were that four of the first eight guys got a hit off him, something like that. That happens to Chris Sale. Like even to Chris Sale, that's going to happen once in a while because it happens to everybody. Everyone has a bad day. A lot of pitchers take some time to get into a rhythm. When you tell me, okay, Chris Sale gave up four hits in the first eight guys he faced, and then after that he cruised, that sounds like a normal thing. Like that doesn't mean that there's going to be a conspiracy behind that. Like that's the sort of thing that happens in a baseball game. So the fact that a lot of the Boston media, maybe not a lot, but a few guys really glommed on to that it just blew my mind because I didn't understand why they couldn't comprehend that this is just some of the randomness that happens in baseball. The best guys sometimes get hit. The worst hitters sometimes get dingers. Like, that's just the way baseball works. Oh, and then they try to say, like, oh, he 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 did a mound visit and switched it up and all this. Dude, it's it's baloney. It's, it's, it's crap. If I had a poop emoji, I'd put the poop emoji. Like... It, it just doesn't make any sense to me that people around the game... Now, when you talk about sign stealing, if there's a man on second base and him relaying signs, does that happen? Of course. That's the only way you can really relay signs. The, the, other than that, to have a man in the white and all this crap... Listen, like you said, Chris Sale was getting his crap pushed in for the first few hitters. All of a sudden, he make adjustment and he went off. Then it was Then he was lights out. I mean... Everyone in this game has a chance to get hit. I don't care how good you are. Put the best pitcher out there in the game, Max Scherzer. He's going to get hit every once in a while. You look at Bundy. Bundy from the Orioles. The other day he gave up, I think, like 10 runs. Yeah, like had one inning. of the worst starts in history. He couldn't get an out. Well, and then and then last start, he just went seven innings, two hits. So was it the time before they were giving all the signs and this time he was, they didn't have the guy working for them? It's so It's, it's literally – insane to me for somebody that it's just an excuse and Boston who who should have more savvy and should have a, a person Remy I enjoyed Remy I think he was one of the better guys that I used to enjoy hearing uh but but to give this even uh, any kind of talk man it's just it's just stupid already and again when you have a guy that's that's hidden in the low averages and all this stuff. It just because if I if anyone had the signs, if I had the signs, I'm not hitting 220. I'm not saying I was the best hitter in the game, but if I know what's coming, I'm gonna kick your ass. Well, the thing too is like maybe there is actually a scenario where the Blue Jays knew what coming what was coming because maybe Sale was tipping his pitches. Maybe his release point on the different pitches weren't exactly where they need to be. That can happen too. Like it doesn't mean that someone has this elaborate plan. Like these little things, they just happen in baseball from time to time, and that's why. I get so frustrated with media members. And I know sometimes taking things out of the media, it's like low-hanging fruit because no one likes the media, especially these days. But when they make too much of stuff, that's why people have a bad opinion of the media because they sensationalize these tiny things and blow them up into bigger stories. Well, here's here's one story that no one ever ever uh, found and, never, and doesn't know about because it's 
this is a this is one time when signs when sign stealing or whatever you want to call it was big. So Esmail Rogers, you remember uh, back when he went off as a starter, right? He was yeah. having a great year as a starter. So one thing he used to do was he used to call pitches to me when the hitter wasn't looking. So he was really big on controlling his game and kind of throwing whatever he wanted to throw. So like instead of going through signs, sometimes he'd give me like the fastball signal with his glove. Sometimes he'd give me the slider signal with his glove. And he would do it all when the hitter wasn't looking. And I told him, dude, it's not smart. There's advanced scouts at every single game. And they're sitting back there watching. And they're watching you do this. And you're going to get exposed. And he's like, oh, well, whatever. Okay. So then in comes the Oakland A's. So the Oakland A's beat the absolute brakes off this dude. And I'm going, dang, dude, they were on every pitch. I don't know. Like, I have no idea. He threw everything was the same. It was just as nasty. They just beat the brakes. And then what we found out after was if you were a right-handed hitter, you would look down to the ground and he would give me the signal. And then they would look up to the first base coach and he would give him the sign. And then if you were a left-handed hitter, you would look down on the ground and what he you would kind of he would give me the sign and then he'd look up to the third base coach and they beat the brakes off of him because of that. And like those are things that happens in the game because of advanced scouting because like you said if you're if somebody's tipping a pitch or or something like that, but again, it, it's that's the stuff that can happen. But to, to think that there's somebody in the stands that's relaying a sign, I, I want to be able to I, – I literally, when I they asked me that question, I wanted to say, hey, I, I need you to just try to kick yourself as hard as you can and you know where because this is stupid that you're asking me this. Honestly, what they should have done is they should have just tried to do it in batting practice and just show people, like, this doesn't work. Even if we tried to send someone out there, like – I mean, I know people are frustrated enough with it. No, it's one of those things like what you described with Esmo Rogers. For me, I listen to that. And I'm like, that's good baseball. Like, that's really smart by Oakland. Like, they deserve credit for doing that. And when most of the sign stealing, like at second base, that's good baseball. Like, that's people have been doing that for decades. So then we take it one step further to something that's not even real. And then suddenly there's enormous outrage as if no one's ever stolen a sign in the history of baseball for something in this case that isn't even a thing. And in this story in the Boston Herald that ran, they quoted Edison Volquez from 2015. Like they dug up a quote he said when he came to Toronto to Sportsnet about most teams that come here always say this, blah, blah. I'm like, really? You're digging like three years into the past of some playoff series to a story you didn't even write. Sportsnet wrote it. That's how desperate you are to make your point. Like that just shows that you've got nothing here. Yeah, it's it's stupid, man. And again, it's just dealing with it is so dumb and you're like you said it's good baseball it, what's funny is now the game is you can't police the game anymore as a player because i remember pat hankin one time going hey you know how we used to police it when guys wanted to relay signs from second base i was like oh how'd you do that he goes i'd have my catcher call a curveball and i'd throw a fastball square in the middle of their back and he was like they knew exactly what was going on. You want to pick up, our, you want to relay our signs? That's fine. I'll just drill you. Now, if that happens, you know, the, the game has, has kind of made these issues where you can't do anything about it other than you you, you start talking, hey, don't pick off our signs or you have to change your signs or whatever. But I I like that old school. Like, hey, all right, we're going to call a curveball. The hitter's waiting for a curveball. You smoke him with a fastball and you say, hey, don't pick our signs anymore. And then it, it kind of polices itself. 
Well, it's sort of the same thing that happened in hockey. Like, as fighting was reduced, which is something that I would say in favor of, like, we know how devastating concussions are. And baseball, throwing at people, that can be dangerous too. But when you do take those things out of the game, there are these unintended consequences where, like you said, the game doesn't police itself as much anymore. And maybe these kind of feuds and people getting angry about this stuff will build up more and more because there isn't that kind of release or that sort of period like okay we're done here this is what it was like you did this that's the crime here's the punishment we're we're finished yeah it's just we're just it's just a soft era man and it's and it's kind of a joke and it and it's and again it's like oh i get my tail whooped out there so it, it's not me it's somebody else or it's it's past blame dude look at yourself in the mirror and the in the red Sox, dude sale gave up four hits out of the first eight batters oh my goodness he is a human being don't make an excuse that we have we have the signs. And then Luke Maley takes him deep in, in the seventh. And so if I were to have Luke Maley and ask him, hey, Luke, did you have the signs? He'd go, no chance. I was just swinging and hoping that I can make contact. I mean, and that's that's what anybody else would say. Like to, to try to take away any anybody's having success in the big leagues for how hard people work, that was another thing that pissed me off. You work too dang hard to play in the big leagues and, and have an opportunity to be good and make a living and, and to say like, oh, well, the only reason why this guy's good, you're taking credit away is because somebody's giving signs. No, F off, man. All right. I think we've come to a pretty strong conclusion. Sign stealing. The man in white is fictional. So JP's been asked about that. Teammates across the league. It's impossible to do it. It probably didn't happen on Saturday and people need to generally just relax about it. So we're going to move on to our guest. JP and I sat with John Gibbons in, an, in his office. It was a fun interview. It was photo day last week. And uh, now he got into it with some stuff that, you know, maybe you're not hearing from him every day. No, you're definitely not going to hear from him, but thankfully we have uh, him talking to us. Gibby, I was thinking about this the other day, and uh, I think that in Toronto, you might be like the most famous Texan that people know the best. Like the image of their Texan might be John Gibbons. So I want to know if you feel like you represent Texas well or poorly, or uh, if, yeah, if you're a good ideal Texan for the Torontonian. Well, is that a compliment or a knock? It's not. I'm saying I think you're the example. So I want to know if you think you're a good example. <laughs> you know, I, hey, you know what? That makes me feel awful good. That that question right there, because uh, I am a proud Texan. Although New England blood runs through my veins. You know, my mom and dad are both born and raised in Boston. I usually try not to tell too many people that. You know, but that's that's the jerk in me when it comes out every now and then. But yeah, I'm I'm, I'm Texas is home. You know, I, I love it down there. And, uh, you know, but another, hey, Cito Gaston from my same hometown in Texas, you know. He, so he, people might want to rethink that question you just gave. Well, I, I, that's something that I, I just learned something new from, from you is I didn't know that your parents were born in uh, New England. I didn't know that you had the Boston background. I thought you were a through and through because you were, you were born in Dakota. Montana. Oh, Montana. Montana, close enough. Yeah. Yeah, close enough. So, oh, actually, my my old man was a uh, in the military, so I bounced around. And then we ended up in Texas for a long assignment. So, well, all right, and then, so now, right? I said I'd never go back to playing uh, any kind of sport on a baseball field, but I've recently joined the softball team with one of my good friends. <laughs> Perfect. <for you. laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, and they asked me what position that I wanted to play, and I said, "There's no chance I'm playing anywhere but first base." So. I wanted to ask you if you were to 
join our softball team and that you can pick any position, what position would you play and why? Well, I, I, well, since I was a catcher, I'd probably have to say catcher, you know, because uh, I'm not athletic. In softball? Enough. Yeah, there's not much I'm to not catch athletic enough softball, to go on the other <laughs> You know, I did actually, back back when I was playing, or maybe, I, yeah, it was at the end of my career, I had some buddies back home that had a softball team. They said, come on and play one night, you know. I'm, I'm, okay. And and I can I can remember, I did not get, about four bats, I did not get a hit. I thought, man, this got to be easy. You know, I th- everybody thought it was uh, it was a hook, you know, and and. Uh, and I might even punched out, man. I couldn't get that, I couldn't get that uppercut going and all that. But I wasn't a very good hitter anyway, so maybe that's doesn't matter what's what sport. One thing JP knows is that uh, whenever we get a guest, I like to get into food with them a little bit because that's a big uh, passion project of mine. Less so uh, JP nowadays. But I wanted to ask you about barbecue because I know I, I noticed there's some meat on your plate when you're coming through the clubhouse, especially after a win. Those plate benders, you know? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I wanted to ask you what you think the best barbecue in the United States is and if in Toronto you're able to get some of that barbecue that you can get down there. Because whenever I'm in the States, that's the first thing I look for is find some barbecue. You know, I, you know, I, I do like barbecue, but I got I to gotta admit Mexican food is my favorite. Um, you know, there, but there's a place in San Antonio. It's it's called Bill Bill Miller Barbecue. It's it's a franchise, and actually, there's one probably about a mile from my house. So I hit that many many <laughs> times. You know, and uh, you know, you, you know, I spent three years coaching in Kansas City, and and Kansas City's probably the top barbecue you're ever gonna find. I can I can and actually I can remember my, when I first started this job out, um, when I was on the coaching staff in the early 2000s, we'd go to the West Coast from Toronto. We'd always we'd stop in Kansas City to you know, go through customs there and then hop back on the plane, go to Anaheim, wherever it was. And, that, and everybody was always excited because they'd stop and, and um, you know, they'd bring all this barbecue on the plane. You know, that was that was kind of the highlight of it. And, uh, and I can't give you any names of places. That's, a, you know, you know, you guys know how uh, short-minded or short-sighted I am anyway. But that's or the top barbecue. waiting for the endorsement. But now, you know, if you want to, now, if you, now, if you want to talk um, enchiladas and tacos and... You're such a... <laughs> <laughs> all right, well then... I was talking with Luke about this and I've always gone, people don't realize as a catcher, sometimes you go to the mound and take a visit and you talk nothing remotely close to baseball, right? You just kind of try to get them their mind away. As a catcher, when you were playing, obviously, or as a manager, have you ever, and do you remember like one a funny story that you went out there and just all of a sudden started talking and it was nothing about baseball? Well, I do that a lot. <laughs> you know, Jay. Yeah, you know what? Well, you know what? I, I normally the pitching coach. I, I let the pitching coach go out there, but there's there's been times, you know, in, in um, you know, it can be just, like you said. I mean, that, that's important sometimes, just maybe to help the guy relax or to, to describe, you know, or, or distract him a little bit. And uh, you know, funny, like even even last night uh, when we brought Patrika into the game, you know, waiting on the mound, and and he uh, he. he He's walk, He's coming in from the bullpen, and he was just up in Tampa over the weekend, you know. And then we sent him down after a day. And uh, smokes on the mound. He goes, "Who's this guy?" So, so he gets to the mound. Said, That's right. You weren't. You weren't there. He he was home on uh, his wife having a baby. So he gets to the mound. I said, "You know, Patrick, here you need to meet Justin Smoke." And they come, okay, one of those kind of. <laughs> or occasionally, you know how it is. Everybody, everybody say, "Hey, did you, did you see that girl over there in the front row back there?" You know, one of those deals. Hey, I do hear. I he, I do hear that you and Donaldson have quite the back and forth on the mounds. Oh yeah, we battle a little, little bit, you know, because he'll say something stupid, you know, and then I and then I have to respond and, and that kind of thing, and, and uh, you know, actually, like you said, I, I enjoy those kind of things because you know, I mean, it's 
you know, I'm not going out there to instruct. You know, I might, you know, occasionally I might go out. The times I would go out without making a change, it would be just to say, hey, let's go, man, you know. You know, it's time to this or that or whatever. But that, but that's kind of very rare. But I do enjoy those, that, that the bantering back and forth, and, and Donaldson's the highlight of it. You know, Russ, hey, Russ behind the plate, too. Russ, Russ has been known to say some things, too, you know. And, and uh, so we, it is kind of a, kind of a highlight. For better or for worse, uh, probably for worse, a large percentage of your job involves, whether it's sitting here or out there, the media room, talking to a gaggle of reporters, there's a sort of a spokesman aspect that goes on to being a manager. And I'm not sure everyone at home realizes how that works. We actually have a meeting here in this office with writers, and then you go out and you answer presumably pretty much the exact same questions exact for TV, TV reporters. So a lot of managers just do that all in one thing, whether it's in the dugout. Why did you decide that you wanted to have sort of two separate meetings when you know there's going to be reruns, both from you and the reporters. No, I got you. You know, you know I actually, I just like being in the office here. I, just, I kind of, I like to relax in my chair here. And I know the, the, the writers that come in, they like sit on those couches too. So it's funny, our, our meetings might last 15, 20 minutes. Sometimes it can even be longer, but there might be about... Been f- in for 40. Yeah, you know, <laughs> but there might be three minutes or five minutes on baseball, then it goes everywhere. You know, we talk about... I love to talk politics. I love to, you know, different things like that. We get on these these roles, you know, because you get all these liberals up here. You know, me being a conservative Texan, we got our differences. So I like to <laughs> I like to highlight those. Nobody's right or wrong, but we just we, we actually I, I really enjoy the media people in this town. I mean, they're friends more more than the, you know that we're just working together and. and the, so I have a good time seeing them, and we we have we have a blast, and that's a, I actually look forward to that part of the day. Well, I mean, well, on this podcast, we're willing to open up, give it credit to a lot of person. Who do you, when you come in here, are you looking forward to uh, butting heads with the most? I have an idea in my head, but who do you look forward to seeing to talk about maybe something politics, something in the news, uh, maybe something that's not baseball and kind of going at it with them? Well, one of them is uh, JP's boy, Griffin. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go on the record and say that's not my boy. Uh, and he, if, whoever spent any time with JP knows where he stands there. No, it's, it's funny too because Griffin, and I when uh, when I when I first got my managing job here in the, in the, you know, it was a little contentious between the two of us, you know. And, and then over over time, that changed, and we sit here, we, we'll we'll have a good time bouncing things off, what have you. And uh, but really, it's it's I mean, it's it's great. Larry Milson's another guy that you know. Larry's so far left, man. You know that I got, I got it. You know I got to counter him a little bit. And and uh, but there's so many good ones. Shy Davidi, you you a lot of guys. You know and, and uh, no, that's very I'm generous. Leaving, very I'm, generous. I know I'm, somebody, I'm I know I'm, le- I'm going to leave somebody out. And, and uh, but there's always some whipping boys too. Guys like McLeod and some of those guys. So all right, well, I I'm, I thank you for coming on and and hanging out with us. Obviously. I think that you're one of the most interesting men in in this country and in in Toronto. I've had a lot I stand of great. Out like a no, sword no, because you we you you are real, so it's fun. You say what's on your mind. So, thank you for uh, spending time. Hey with Jay, me. I enjoyed it, man. Yeah, you, you're one of my all time favorites in this game. You know, you you really are. And, and uh, the sky's the limit. Whatever you choose to do, you know. But you don't you you know you need to be on a cam with a camera face. You don't need to be on a. Just a couple microphones, man. You're the pretty boy. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens after this. I know it. Something good will. There's been enough flattery, I think, for uh, for all the listeners. I don't think people need to sit here, hear us talk about how great we well, all are. Well, that's what we Americans do, man. We, <laughs> we stroke each other. <laughs> all right. All right. Thanksgiving. All righty.
And we're back. And one thing that I thought was really interesting about that interview that maybe maybe Gibby could have given us a little bit more on was the idea of mound visits and the fact that they don't actually go the way I think a lot of people at home think they do, where it's all business. Sometimes it's totally ridiculous stuff. It's off base. It has nothing to do with baseball. And we were talking with, about that with Luke Maley, actually, when you were in town last week about how sometimes it's just got nothing to do with baseball. So what's one that stands out to you in all of your hundreds of mound visits in your career, ones that stood out to you as being more ridiculous or very much unbaseball. Well, what I used to do, and this is, I started this in the minor leagues and I don't know why I would do it, but I, we had one guy in double A and I forgot his name as a pitcher, but he used to like be really good, but I could see how his mind was just spinning. So I would do this in the minor leagues and I eventually took it to the big leagues was I'd walk out to the mound and I would look at all the signs in the outfield and just randomly read it. Like just I like let's say in the sense of so the all the signs were behind and I would say, Hey, listen, man, Coca-Cola, hot dogs, cinema, regal, and just start naming like go from sign to sign and just say probably fifteen different signs and turn around and walk away. And dude, people like the the kind of looks that I would get were like <laughs> what the heck but honestly a lot of times it helped and that's what i, I used to tell dudes like hey i'm not gonna go out there and talk baseball to you because i can already tell that you're a deer in the headlights so if i say something completely like off the wall then these guys are like whoa okay and it gives them a second to just think like what is this guy talking about and it takes them away from concentrating on the game so that's what i used to do that was kind of crazy uh i also remember one time that one of the managers, I won't name the name, but we're playing interleague and uh, I went out to the mound and also or I went out to the mound and, and so we're making a, a switch. Well, we're in the National League. A lot of guys kind of the managers in the American League sometimes get exposed. And so the guy comes in and he gives the ball and he's like, he's like, hey, you know, you're facing so and so. Uh, so get ready, you know, whatever. And I I'm looking, I'm like, hey, skip. That's uh they they pinch hit. This is he's not facing so and so, and so guy. he he literally gave him the ball and he goes uh well all right good luck and then just walked <laughs> off the mound. And I was like uh that's not the way that we wanted that to go. But uh there's there's uh, a lot of funny stories. I'm trying to think. Um there was there's a there's a lot of times like you said you you go there and you just talk about you go and you just talk about. The, the craziest things. I mean, you may talk about what are we going to go to dinner after, or you kind of just, sometimes you actually have to go out there and kind of get in the guy. But Gibby was always, Gibby was always fun. Um, and he was a guy that was always kind of like, listen, man, it is, if you got your tail whipped, he would kind of be like, well, go get him next time, kid. And he, he wasn't really uh, too bad. And then when the guy would come in, he would, or when, when the pitcher, uh, was coming in from the bullpen is kind of when we, we would get after it, like just start talking crap and all the position players would kind of go back and forth and, and talk smoke smack to each other. So uh, it, those things, I wish that we were mic'd up, but then we'd probably be in trouble if they were. Yeah. And I think it's one of those things that it really applies to sort of everyday life, whatever you're doing. Sometimes people are really wound up and stressed at work and like someone in your office or wherever you work, Sometimes the best thing you can do is just tell them a stupid joke. Like it, it doesn't help them. Technically, it doesn't help them do their job better, but it helps them like get back to a place where maybe they can do their job because they just unwind, they breathe, they exhale. 
and they can kind of like be a normal person again. Yeah, you know what I love too is I love when the managers go out there and they're literally just going out there to stand there because they'll say, hey, tell me when the umpire is coming. Because the only reason why that they're going out there to stand out there is because when the ma- when the umpire comes out, he just rips him apart. Like <laughs> those, are the, those are the mound visits I enjoy. It's like, man, this guy behind the dish, he sucks tonight. It is not good. And they're, they'll just sit there and they'll be like, Tell me when he's coming, and so they'll they'll specifically wait for the umpire to come to the mound and say break it up, and then then he'll start like, actually, you know, let's not break it up and just start wearing out the umpires. And it's I used to that was one of my favorite mound visits is when I knew that it, they were just going out there solely to be able to rip the umpire. All right, we are only in our third episode, so it might be unfair to say something is a beloved segment yet, but I uh, I'm gonna say that about memory lane. I think it's one of our favorites. And today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your experience with minor league rehab assignments, because this is something I've always wondered about. When you hear about guys coming back from rehab assignment, it's always like, oh, well, I had to pay for a dinner and now I'm back. But I feel like there's a lot more that goes on there. And I know me and you were talking about how you met Kevin Pillar before we interviewed him. And you're saying like, that's actually how your friendship started. So I'm wondering... What goes on down there? Do people swarm you because you're the big league guy? Do people leave you alone when you're in that single A and you're experienced big league player? If this happened for you in 2012, I believe. Like, how does that generally go? Because a lot of Blue Jays are going to be experiencing it. There are a lot of Blue Jays on the DL right now. Marcus might have to do it on the way back. Pierce, when he gets going, Grichuk. So a lot of these guys, established MLB players, find themselves riding buses and hanging out with minor leaguers. How does that go? Well, well, I don't know about the riding buses part. Some of the guys, they'll, they'll be able to have their chauffeurs or whoever the heck takes them to the game. They kind of travel in a little bit more style than the minor <laughs> leagues when you're on a, when you're on a big league. Wow, rehab, that's but, not going to be a part of the team. Come on, you got to ride the bus. No, 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 no. You already you already put in the time for that. But honestly, it all depends, right? Like, so when I went down on my on my rehab assignment, I was young, and I think it's all how you treat the people, right? So. I was young, but I was around these guys in camp. So when you're in spring training, there's a lot of guy minor leaguers that are in big league camp. So I was always very accessible to everybody. I treated everybody like they were all on the same playing field. I didn't care if you were the bullpen catcher. So when I went down to the minor leagues, it was actually kind of fun because it was like in the minor leagues, you can get away with a lot more crap that you, you can't in the big leagues. There's a lot more media. There's a lot more uh, things around. So you can kind of get away with more stuff. So it was it was very loose. You have fun. Um, and part of it is, you know, when you go down, you have to buy the spread, right? You, so you have to buy the post game spread because when I was a minor leaguer, now I'll flip it. Right. So when I was a minor leaguer on the way up as a team, we used to be like, Hey, is he going to rehab here? Is this player going to rehab here? You, we were all like fighting (laughs) to make sure that they rehabbed where we were at because you knew that when a major league player came into rehab, that there's a good chance that we were going to have like steak and we we're going to have like Outback or we we're going to have one of these like good restaurants. Like we we're going to have Chipotle catered. It was going to be very different from the the regular old peanut butter and jelly and the, and the crap food that you get in the minor leagues. So legit, that was like a big ordeal. And then this is the funny part is, is the major, the guy could have been the nicest guy in the world when he was there rehabbing. But if he didn't buy spread, everyone was like, what a douche. And so, <laughs> that's so it's the like, only thing you're judged on. Do you buy spread? Yes or no? Yeah. that's It's like, dude, you come in town, 
you're making, listen, you're making a ton of money. You're making a ton of money of meal money a day. So it was like, all right, is this guy going to buy spread? And like, so you'll, you'll hear, it's funny because when you, when you talk to guys, they'll be like, dude, this guy rehab for a week. How many spreads do you think he bought? And we're, and I, you know, you're like, what? And he's like, none. Dude, what a, what a douche. And like, it had nothing to do. The guy could have been the greatest guy, but if you don't buy a spread, that's what, that's all people want is like, Hey, you're down here rehabbing. You got to buy a spread. So I remember, I'm pretty sure, uh, I bought two spreads while I was down there. Cause I was really only down there two, for a couple Two games. spreads in how many days? Two days? I wasn't, Three days? I, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't there for long. I was only there a couple of days. I only played a couple of games because it was towards the end of the regular season already. So I, I didn't even have an opportunity to rehab. I went two games, and then I went straight to uh, Boston to play. Um, but, yeah, no, that, that was something I wanted to make sure. I was like, dude. I, and another thing I always did was I wanted to pick up the catchers, their dues. Because, you know, they you have clubhouse dues, and you, play, you pay them every day. So, uh, you know, that was one thing that I tried to do because – you know, it was done for me by past, by past, uh, catchers. So it's like, Hey, you know, however many days I was there, I'm picking up all the catchers clubhouse fees. So they didn't have to pay that, but it's dude, again, it has nothing to do if you're a good guy or a bad guy. It has all to do with, if you pick up the spread, if you pick up the spread, it's like, dude, that, what a, what a great guy that guy was, man. What a, he's a, and then if he didn't pick up the spread, you're like, dude, what a douche, man. Didn't pick up one spread. Are you kidding me? See, in the past, I feel like you've given me some shit for being too food-focused on this podcast, and now we're talking about the minor leagues, and you're telling me it's all about food. Uh, well, I mean, when you're when you're grinding in the in, – we call it the bush leagues. So a lot of people say it's the bush leagues. So when you're grinding in the bush leagues and you're eating about how, – how many cold-cut sandwiches? You're going just straight nitrate-filled cold-cut sandwich meat and peanut butter and jelly and just grinding every single day as opposed to when a big leaguer comes in and you get all of a sudden like an outback cater or whatever, nice restaurant catering food, it's a big deal. So yes, if you're, if, if you are coming in, you need to buy spread. And I imagine Stroman will take care of those guys. I'm sure all these guys will take care of these guys because it's, it's kind of the torch that's passed down, right? Like it's an unspoken, like you're not, you don't have to do it, but it's an unspoken, you got to buy spread. It's funny because this is such a big thing, but I feel like in the future, minor leagues, they're putting more money into nutrition and into gyms and stuff. And like maybe in the future, this little tradition won't exist because they'll actually be taking care of the minor leaguers. Well, that's, that's, you know, it's funny. I was going to bring that up too, is now they're starting, now they're starting to do a lot of like catered meals in the minor leagues. And people are starting to realize how important nutrition is. Uh, throughout the entire organization. So now now minor league teams are getting uh, their food catered and stuff like that, which I think is a very smart thing to do. So it's it's getting better. But still, I think it's part of the tradition. You hope it doesn't change because I think it's it's also a kind of rite of passage. Like when you're able to come down and buy spread, like you're a big leaguer, dude. Like that's pretty dang cool. Like I, I, I always wanted to be a big leaguer. And then now when I had the opportunity, I was like, heck yeah, I'm going to buy these guys spread, dude, because I – I'm a major leaguer now. That's kind of what you do. So uh, it's fun. It's part of it. And again, you just make sure that that you take care of, the, of those guys because really, too, you're coming into their clubhouse and everything is being done for you. Like what what they never get, which like they're cleaning their, the shoes being cleaned and a lot of different things that they'll never get because they're just in the minor leagues. When a big leader comes in, it's like roll out the red carpet and all these different things happen. So they're kind of a little pissed off already, too. They're like, what the heck? But that's why you kind of throw them a bone back. 
So if there are any big leaders, big leaguers listening to this podcast, you haven't been on rehab yet. Here's the advice. It doesn't matter if you're an asshole to everyone. You can take your chauffeur to the games. Doesn't matter if you ride the bus. Just make sure you buy some steaks and get that spread ready for uh, all your teammates. 100. 100. I can, you can suck and, and cost us the game, but if you don't buy spread, then we don't like you. All right, we're going to move on to Outside the Nest. This is a story from last week, but I wanted to revisit it because for me, it's uh, so ridiculous. We're really picking on the Boston media in this episode. I don't think that's going to be a big pattern for us. But So last week, David Price had carpal tunnel syndrome issue flare up, and as a result, he missed a start. We actually saw him back with facing the Blue Jays. Um, and the criticism came in about him playing video games, specifically this game is very popular right now, Fortnite all the time. It was bad timing because he, he there was a story came out where he was talking about how much he loved this game. And then like a couple days later, he went down with this injury. And basically everyone has said, you know, chances are it's not related. Chances are it's not related. Who knows? Like you, it's unfair to make this link. And yet like all the headlines are David Price plays too many video games. David Price hurts himself playing video games. Like kind of like a little bit of a loser connotation to that as well. First of all, I just want to ask you what your take on clubhouse video game culture is. Cause I know that in my experience, the blue Jays clubhouse, there aren't a lot of video games going on right now. Last year, there was quite a bit of FIFA between Jose Bautista and Russell Martin and the bullpen guys had some stuff. They had some NHL going on. I haven't seen much this year. What was it like when you were coming up? Uh, well through the minor leagues, it's definitely a lot of, uh, you're always playing video games. I feel like, um, but then once you get to the big leagues, it's a little bit more of a professional approach. Then uh, there's more media in there and stuff like that too. So you, you kind of, like I said, you can get away with more things in the minor leagues because if you if you go through a slump in the big leagues and you're on the sticks every single day playing a video game, then it's like, oh, he's not paying attention to the game. He's just playing. Eh. But in the minor leagues, if you go through a slump, they really don't. there's no one in the clubhouse to see you playing video games. So no one can kind of, uh, you know, put it to that being the reasoning. But – uh, it depends. Honestly, it all depends on the clubhouse. Some clubhouses, these dudes want to play video games. Um, they're they're there early to play video games. A lot of guys are gamers. Uh, there's some cl- clubhouses I've been in that I never saw any video games. The the guy who used to play video games all the time was Brett Cecil. Uh, for when I was in Toronto, he had a game console and TV screen in his um, in his locker, and he played all the time and he said that that was what helped him kind of free his free his mind before he he started um but if you were to ask me where the the biggest amount of video games being played it's on the plane so when you travel on the plane now they have those consoles that you can kind of travel with and you just flip it open and you play games so guys play games uh on the plane when you're traveling and also in the hotel rooms because you know everyone's kind of on their own so they'll play they'll bring their systems into the hotel room and play but I think that's kind of uh, listen David Price is literally I've played with him when we were in college in the USA team I've been around him for a long time he's always been an avid gamer like the dude is a really really not only is he a good gamer but he's always really really enjoyed playing uh, video games it's just like one of those things right like he's all of a sudden he's got something going on oh, we're going to pick something else out. And and I think it's just always the pass of blame. I mean, you go to the signs, pass of blame. Carpal tunnel, oh, it's a video game. It's like if he, if he was doing good and didn't have an issue, no one would say anything. I also think there's kind of a connotation about video games. It's a little bit unfair. I mean, I speaking personally, like I play a lot of games. 
And I, I kind of have that Cecil impression of it. Like I do find it, it's a bit escapism. It helps me clear my mind if I'm stressed or whatever. But I find that like, say he was in the clubhouse and he was always playing cards. He was always reading a book. Like no one would ever comment on it. Like a lot of guys in the Blue Jays clubhouse are always playing cards. It's just like another hobby. So it feels weird as one that they've glommed onto. And it feels like for me, a lot of that is, is often, you know, older writers covering a team who are less familiar with this as like a hobby. And so yeah, they, yeah, they, they think it's up, foreign to them. Yeah. They grew up with, they grew up with Atari. And so they're like, Oh, this is, what well, is this? All this, this gaming. And I don't, I don't know, think they even had gaming. Atari, man. Some of them. <laughs> it's, so it's, it's just, you're right. It's old school crap and, and, and it's dumb. And again, everyone, like you said, guys play cards. Some guys take naps. Some guy, I mean, everyone has whatever gets them to be whoever they are. And, you know, again, I think I think the video games. A lot of those guys, like you said, a lot, dude. In baseball, there's a lot of pressures, and sometimes in video games, that's kind of the way they escape. They kind of they go home and 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 hit the sticks. I do know though, one time there was somebody who got a little bit of a elbow strain because the amount of Guitar Hero they were playing. Didn't I think I thought I heard that happened to Joel Zumaya back in the day. He had a guitar hero issue. I mean, th- that guy had every issue from an injury perspective, but like he the last thing he needed was guitar hero issues. That one's yeah, a little no, bit different, but it's more strenuous, I guess. The yeah, well that's because th- yeah, cuz your forearms would get on fire if you played if you strummed the the guitar hero uh guitar too much, but it, it wasn't Zumaya, it was somebody else and they had to they actually told him you have to be able to stop playing for a little while. Yeah, and, and, you know, and it's the same way that they do prevent guys from, they don't want guys to play pickup basketball and stuff like that, and I know they still do, whatever. People tend to do what they want. Like, you can't really police someone's entire life. As much as teams want to make sure they can police guys' entire lives, guys are going to do what they want, by and large. Well, I mean, yeah, that's, think about it, right? Like, for me, the first thing I did, I retired, I want I went snowboarding, because I was like, I've been wanting to go snowboarding for ages and then I but it, you know contractually we're not allowed to do anything that can really get hurt or water sports like I w- I'm a water sports guy so I did a lot of water sports while I was playing I just I mean that was just kind of the way I went about it um and I obviously I never got hurt but that was that was something but you can't you just got to live life too um we sacrificed too much of our time in our lives like just f- training focusing you know doing all the things for baseball you would literally have to walk in a bubble if it was uh, to be sure that you didn't didn't get injured and you were living the way you were supposed to live. Yeah, so Boston Media, leave David Price alone. Man's got a hobby. Did it keep him out one start? Maybe. We'll never know. It's not a big deal. No, nah, it's tired. I, it's stupid, and it's a waste of time, so whatever. All right, we're going to finish this off with the traditional method, which is JP Career Trivia. Last time, JP absolutely nailed it. I have a feeling he's going to get this one right as well. So what I did promise last episode, as I said, we would have a positive memory lane, which we did, JP's memories of beautiful spreads, and we were going to have a negative JP career trivia. So the career trivia is not, this is not going to be your your finest career moment. I hate you. Okay, well, (laughs) I'm just here doing my job, ultimately. Still hate you. All right, that's fair. What we're going to do today is we're going to talk about ballparks and where you hit and where you didn't hit. So of all the ballparks you played in at least 10 times, so basically this is American League parks because you played in the American League your entire career, which ballpark 
did you have the lowest, we'll just say batting average. It's pretty much everything. I'm always interested to hear guys talk about which ballparks they are good in or bad at and whether they believe that. And this one I found a little bit interesting. So that's why it stood out to me. What was your worst hitting ballpark in your career? Is it, is it, is it sample size? Like if I'm, it's, it, I'm just going to say, I don't want to give anything away really, but I'm just going to say it's I know, an I know, AL I know park. where it is. I know where it is. I mean, I know where it is. It's a park you played in at least 10 yeah, times. I, yeah, no, I know exactly where it is. It's, okay. it's Boston Red Sox. Yeah, Fenway Park. I'm going to read out a, uh, a little yeah, a go, line go, for go. you. So. Yeah, do this. I, I didn't have to see it every single time I step in the box. So why don't you just remind me? Go. Well, I got to remind the people. Uh, 105 plate appearances, 11 hits, 29 strikeouts. So the total was... A batting average of 113, on base 181, slugging 237 for an how OPS many, of 418. How many, how many homers, though, in those 11 hits? I want to say that there was four, five. Four homers. Oh, four. four. Dang it. Four. There was some power, but like realistically, I can't say you had a lot of power there when you slugged 237. There's only so far we can go with that. Dude, uh, I tell you know, again – there are certain things that you remember as a player. And I tell people, because now if you go to Baltimore and you check out my numbers in Baltimore, I'm probably like a career 360 hitter with that's a lot of home runs. I have looked at that, and that's a pretty good guess. I think you were at – I'm pulling it up right now. Oh, 338. Yeah, there you go, yeah. 338. And I, and I hit a ton of homers there, and I did really good there. And then Boston, I freaking sucked. And I think – now that I'm done, I could say I was probably a little hard-headed because I just wanted to hit it over that monster. And so you get pool happy and you suck. But um, unfortunately, I, I knew that very well. And uh, I every time I'd step up into the plate, and I'm sure that marketing and media, they do these things on purpose because they actually try to mess with players, I, I truly believe. So I would step into the plate and literally always on their board was like, Career lifetime batting <laughs> average in Fenway, like 110, 115. What? And it's like, dude, this is brutal. So I knew every single time that I played in that field that it was like, well, I suck. So that's an interesting one. I mean, I guess you, you touched on that with the hard-headedness. But if you were going to say, you know, what's a good park for J.P. and C.B., I would have been like, oh, he's a guy who likes to pull the ball in the air. I feel like Fenway Park would be a great park for that guy to hit. So er- I found it surprising that, yeah – that did not work out that way for you. Did did that really, like when you went to, because I know players do end up talking about it, like, oh, like what's coming up on the schedule? We're going to Cleveland. Oh, I always hit well in Cleveland. Like even if it's not necessarily a huge hitter's park or pitcher's park, guys have it in their head like, oh, I'm good there. Or like, ah, I don't know about that one. Uh, Well, for sure. Uh, yeah, Baltimore. That, was, I, that definitely was like, heck yeah, every time I went into Baltimore. But I think more than parks, I think it's just teams for whatever reason. I think... Uh, you really like. I knew that I hit my most career. I think it was twelve home runs. My and against one team was the Yankees. Like I always hit homers against the Yankees for whatever reason. Um, I, I hit them pretty decent. And then, uh, you know, I knew that Boston would would crush me. I knew there was teams that pitched me well and teams that didn't. So I, that's kind of how I would go. Is more based on the team. Like, oh, I always I always hit these guys good, and that's how I felt about Baltimore. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, all that stuff plays into it. And again, if the stadiums realized how big 
psychologically they mess with you when you see those numbers uh, like 105 you're like dang i suck here this is not good man yeah those stadium employees are more valuable you gotta start paying those guys more if they're having an effect like that yeah i mean whoever does the media stuff it's like it's like the strikeout guy of the game i mean when you're in the minor leagues they always give away a, a if you're like the person who strikes out they'll give away free you know whatever hot dogs or free tickets to one restaurant and so you literally every time you go up everyone starts cheering and when you get two strikes everybody goes crazy because they're like this is the strikeout guy so you kind of you literally go into it like heck no i'm not striking out i don't want them to to get that free you know burger or whatever and then all of a sudden you strike out and it's like well it's because you were trying not to well, when you're in the minor leagues and like if you're a fan, you you paid probably pretty much nothing for that ticket, right? So if you're going to get a free burger out of it, it's almost like you might be doubling your value on what you paid on that ticket. So I understand why they get up for it. Yeah. And then and it also, like you said, psychologically, you're kind of like, F off, man. I'm not going to strike out. And all of a sudden you strike out because you put more pressure on yourself. It is funny that you mentioned teams because I when I watch the broadcast and they put up stats like this guy's doing this against this team. It always drives me nuts. Like, I actually hate it because it, it just doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, that team has so many different pitchers, like, over many years. Like, why do I care? How does that affect this at bat? But I guess it does worm its way into people's heads. Yep. The, the, the thing in between your ears is a very powerful thing. And unfortunately, sometimes for, my, for mine, it, it faltered and it got to me. All right. That's all we have for today. Remember, if you are working the uh, PR in a ballpark, you are more powerful than you think and put some more effort into your research and maybe you can give your team like a big time home home field advantage. Yeah. And uh, thanks, Nick Ashburn. I'm going to call you Nick Ashburn for putting me on the spot with one of my crappy stats. As we know, it's it's born because he gets upset if it's if you call him burn. But if that's my for... one diva tendency. Like as someone who's not well known and has no right to be a diva, I am a diva about people pronouncing my name correctly. Well, um, whenever you give me the crap stats like that, I'm just going to call you Burn Ash Burn. All right. Well, next time uh, we'll come up with a nice stat, but I can't promise that memory lane will be uh, a pleasant one. Again, thanks, Mister Ashburn. All right. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes or whatever podcast app or website is preferable to you. And uh, we'll see you again next week. <laughs>